The Geek Report is brought to you by Geek Geek Nerd Nerd, comics, toys, and collectibles. Redmond's Geek Store inside the Redmond Antique Mall at 535 Southwest 6th Street. Find the coolest new and vintage comic books, action figures, signed prints, and more at Geek Geek Nerd Nerd. It's the language we speak. Hi, I'm Chris Columbus, and this is The Geek Report. Today we're talking about E3. E3 is the world's premier trade show for computer and video games and related products. The show is owned by the Entertainment Software Association, the U.S. association dedicated to serving the business and public affair needs of companies publishing interactive games for video game consoles, handheld devices, personal computers, and the Internet. We had to do a special geek report just for E3 because there is so much coming out of E3 this year. It's probably the best E3 that I have seen in years. The reports are coming fast and furious about just about every possible game you could imagine. There are many sequels to games, as well as a lot of brand new and interesting games that are coming out. So let's get to it. We're going to start off with Star Wars, of course. EA and DICE's first ever public gameplay demo for Star Wars Battlefront has revealed Luke Skywalker as a playable hero. In addition to the Rebel Alliance and Empire's roles in combat, the E3 2015 gameplay trailer also showed Imperial soldiers sieging a hangar on the frozen world of Hoth, where rebels fought back with rockets, rifle fire, and snow speeders. Rebel players sought to activate and defend control points, while Imperials aimed to keep the objectives deactivated. The Empire's ADATs, while automated in their navigation, can be controlled to obliterate infantry. Imperial airstrikes also prove devastating against rebels, who can protect themselves briefly with a bubble shield ability. Playing as a Jedi also allows players to deflect lasers at their attackers, as well as cut down standard soldiers with a lightsaber, or clash with enemy heroes such as Darth Vader. The demo also showcased X-Wings and TIE Fighters clashing in the sky, while on-the-ground attackers tucked into trenches for protection fought off invading ATSTs or crippled ADATs with tow cables. In both the debut footage for Star Wars Battlefront and the latest co-op gameplay trailer, we can see an Imperial Star Destroyer crashing into the surface of Tatooine. Or at least, we think it's Tatooine. It could just be Jakku premising The Force Awakens. DICE General Manager Patrick Bach told IGN exactly what's going on and why we're only sort of getting involved in bringing it out of the sky. We have a concept we call Battle Beyond, Bach told IGN. The cool thing with this is it's actually part of the player feedback, so depending on which side is winning or losing, these events actually change. The atmosphere around the battle reflects the success of those on the ground. When the Rebel Alliance is dominating on that particular Tatooine map, Part of the visual representation of their success is a a flaming star destroyer sinking into the surface of the planet. Each map will feature an appropriate and different means of communicating the state of the battle for each side. Bach explained, It's what you usually do in a UI. You make it bluntly obvious. It's slowly hinting at who's winning, and I think it's a brilliant concept to give you the information and emotion you need to understand or change your plans. You don't need a blinking gauge. It's part of the world. Just look for the crashing Star Destroyer, and that'll tell you whether you're winning or not. 
BioWare Austin's next expansion for Star Wars The Old Republic has been revealed. Knights of the Fallen Empire was announced at EA's E3 2015 press conference by way of a gorgeous CG story trailer, with the expansion pack launching this October. Knights of the Fallen Empire is a free-for-all subscribers. The expansion ups the level cap to 65 and, according to EA, includes a level 60 character so players can play immediately in the new story-driven content. While no gameplay was really shown, the trailer did tell a story about two twin brothers and their struggle with their father. The boys grow into fierce warriors, hurt themselves in battle, and ultimately end up faced against each other in a family feud. The CG trailer was created by Blur, the studio responsible for The Old Republic's previous, similarly spectacular animated story vignettes when they first opened the game. During Microsoft's E3 Xbox conference, Crystal Dynamics showed off the first gameplay footage of the Microsoft-timed exclusive Rise of the Tomb Raider, and also announced a November 10th, 2015 release date. That's the same day Bethesda will be releasing Fallout 4. Get your pocketbooks ready. The footage showed Laura Croft walking through a cavern lit by a flare before emerging on a mountainside. She and her companion are searching for a lost city, scrambling alongside a mountain in a snowstorm. She lunges into a vertical sheet of ice and climbs up using ice axes, jumping between crags and outcroppings. At the top of the cliff, we spot a city before she's thrown from the mountain, dangling by a rope. She swings to the wall and gets her footing before a distant avalanche forces her to run in an intense escape segment. She catches a zip line with her ice pick, falls, slides down a chute, and runs along crumbling mountainside before ultimately falling to the snow before it fades to black. The next scene shows a montage of familiar gameplay mechanics in a variety of environments. Then, there's a bear. Yes, Lara Croft fights a bear. Look forward to Rise of the Tomb Raider starring Lara Croft coming out November 10th, 2015. Also, during the Microsoft E3 press conference, developer The Coalition debuted its first demo for Gears of War 4, coming out late 2016, giving us the first look at gameplay from the Xbox One shooter. The debut demo began with two Gears, JD and an unnamed woman, walking through an abandoned, battered town at night, lit only by their flashlights and the two moons in the sky. A heavy storm swept through, destroying enormous structures and obscuring their path, as well as blowing vehicles across across the environment. The partners sprinted for shelter, narrowly missing lightning strikes. Inside their shelter, organic matter infesting the walls shorted out JD's flashlight and covered him in a glowing substance. The partners evaded their organic pods while fleeing from an unseen foe revealed to be a scorpion-like monster with projectile attacks. The Gears fought off more with Nasher shotguns and lancers before JD was nearly eaten by one of the creatures. Gears 4 appears to feature two-player co-op rather than the series' more recent four-player. The Coalition's Rod Ferguson announced that Gears of War Ultimate Edition and HD upgrade of the Xbox 360 Classic would be coming to PC. Showcased on Xbox One at Microsoft's E3 2015 press conference, Ultimate Edition for PC will run in 4K and have DX12 support. Rare Replay is a collection of 30 games drawn from Rare's experience 
extensive and diverse back catalog. Rare is a game developer and turns 30 this year. To mark the occasion, it's looking back, collecting together 30 of its most iconic games into Rare Replay. It sounds like one of those compilations where a bunch of games are thrown onto a single disc, but it's a very different type of collection. The project hasn't been outsourced with a third party porting over titles. Rare is in total control, not only selecting the games, but also combining them into an experience full of the character and charm associated with its original output. And there's more than just the games themselves, with additional challenges, cheats, and behind-the-scenes extras, creating a premium box set experience. It's a diverse collection with multiple platforms, genres, and styles coexisting. Spectrum classics like Jetpack and Lunar Jetman sitting alongside N64 favorites Banjo-Kazooie and Conkers. There's still plenty of room for more recent 360 titles too, including Viva Pinata and Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. There's no Donkey Kong Country or GoldenEye, unfortunately, due to Rare not actually owning the rights to those games. Which games made the cut was determined in an X-Factor style process where a long list was whittled down using criteria such as popularity and how representative a specific game was of Rare's values. Over the last 30 years, Rare has accumulated a diverse body of work. There's different styles, genres, and tones, which, in theory, could make for an awkward collection. But this problem is elegantly overcome through some witty presentation. Rare Replay is framed as an elaborate theater production put on by Banjo, Joanna Dark, and Conker, who are eager to relive their past adventures in front of a new audience. Each game is represented by a charming title screen, which resembles a piece of the set design. Once you press start, the world of the theater is left behind and you're transported into the game. Rare hasn't simply crammed a bunch of old assets from the attic into a disc, it's fashioned a Muppet Show-style reality for its characters and games to exist side by side. Rare Replay not only wants to salvage the past, but make it accessible. The advanced technology makes it hard for most players to enjoy old games in a way they're meant to be experienced. Imagine you wanted to watch, say, Star Wars, but to do so involved tracking down an original 35mm print. Not only would you have to source the negative, but you would also have to buy a bunch of equipment to project it. Sounds kind of ludicrous, but that's the situation with most older games. Rare Replay is very conscious that video game culture doesn't do enough to preserve the past. It's about putting the games from the past into the hands of a new audience in an enjoyable way. The older Spectrum titles and NES titles like Lunar Jetman or RC Pro-Am can be picked up immediately and are still fun to play. Rare has created visual filters which recreates what it was like to play them in the 80s. Click R3 and a filter simulates the blur of an old CRT television. The sharp, unforgiving pixels of a modern TV mellow into a nostalgic fuzz. The inclusion of Jetman and Battletoads also serves as a reminder of just how hard games used to be. Both are demanding and unforgiving, and that's worth remembering. Wherever possible, Rare has tampered very little with the original code of these games. This is a work of preservation, not adaptation. That said, it realizes a lot of the older titles won't be played from beginning to end, so it's included Snapshot Mode, which fashions standalone mini-game challenges out of its core gameplay. 
few developers have been around for as long as Rare. Over the last three decades, it has created everything from platformers to shooters to fighting games and farming simulators. As a studio, it's constantly looking forward to exploring different genres, creating new characters, and it's nice to see Rare take a moment to appraise and celebrate its past. It's full of charm, fun, and creativity. Tiger and Squid's adventure game Beyond Eyes is coming first to Xbox One this summer, Microsoft revealed during its E3 2015 press conference. In Beyond Eyes, players must guide a blind 10-year-old girl called Ray through an unfamiliar world as she searches for a fat stray cat that she has befriended named Nani. Players must rely on sound to discover and navigate their mysterious environment. The adventure game was first shown off during the annual Game Developers Conference 2015 and is also slated for release on PlayStation 4 and PC. Dark Souls 3 looks brutal, but beautiful, mysterious, yet familiar, and while the demo played during Bandai Namco's E3 demo was hands-off, it looks as mechanically and complex as anything a hardened Souls veteran can hope for from the infamously challenging series. The level demonstrated what was called Wall of Lotoleth, a crumbling stone fortress similar to the first game's Undead Parish. Cobbled bridges, basements, and walkways, both vast and dangerously narrow, made up the interwoven environment. From the bonfire at the start to the boss room at the end, you got the sense that the paths branched and overlapped that there was more to the level than one might imagine immediately apparent. Areas are interconnected just like in the first Dark Souls, said Miyazaki. Having an interconnected map is my favorite, he continued. Enemies encountered during the demo ranged from hostile undeads to unrelenting knights with great shields and spears. Some of these emaciated undeads came in the form of hostiles while others kneeled and prayed at the faded sun above. A dragon even made an appearance, swooping in to blow fire at a horde of undead below. The most mysterious enemy was a seemingly normal hollow among a praying group up on a roof, who, without warning, transformed into some kind of horrible tar creature that devastated all surrounding enemies and eventually the player. The boss at the end was called Dancer of the Frigid Valley, a huge, spindly, dancer-like creature that moved like smoke from a candle a graceful but unpredictable rhythm. It reminded me a bit of Voldo from Soul Calibur, but instead of claws, it wielded a long, narrow fire sword that set the boss room aflame with every swing. According to Miyazaki, bosses have multiple stages where their movesets change. Despite getting slaughtered by the boss, the person demoing the game did get lots of melee combat in with a lot of less lesser enemies. It's hard to say how the combat feels without actually getting a chance to play, but your options are mostly the same. The sword and shield combo is back, but you can still two-hand weapons as well. The newest combat feature is called the Ready Stance, which allows players to utilize devastating special abilities like a powerful slash attack or an upward thrust that sends enemies flying into the air. These were special moves beyond the simple strong attacks you could do in other Souls games. It seemed more similar to the charge attacks in Bloodborne. Miyazaki noted that improved player controls make moving around during combat more intuitive. And for those who hated Bloodborne's dodge stepping, Dark Souls 3 features the usual dodge rolling of other Soul games. Besides the ready stance, another new feature were these small gravestones. When standing near one, you can press the action button to offer flame, which illuminates the gravestone in a blue light. After lighting it up, an epitaph on the tomb reads, Grave of Nameless Retainer. 
raised his sword for the Lord of Cinder. This isn't a huge feature of the game, according to Miyazaki, who explained how they can be used as landmarks, torches, or simply a way of learning bits of lore. They'll be hidden throughout the game for a player to find. As far as lore goes, Miyazaki was silent. When asked whether the game was set in Lordran, Drangelic, or another kingdom altogether, Miyazaki simply said, Dark Souls 3 shares the same world with Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 2. He also kept quiet when asked about the giant faceless knight at the end of the trailer, who Miyazaki referred to as the Lord of the Cinder. Is it Gwen? Is it the player character from the first Dark Souls? No comment. Several things about Dark Souls 3 are still secrets. The team didn't have much to reveal yet about multiplayer, only that it exists and there will be summon signs and matchmaking. There was no word on the rumored sacrifice mechanic, but Miyazaki did reference it and promised more info in later days. Miyazaki described the visual style they were going for as a kind of withered beauty. There was a moment in the demo that captured this perfectly. The player stood before the corpse of a dead dragon and watched as particles of dust and ash were swept off its body by the wind, illuminated in the rays of the dying sunlight above. Dark Souls 3 will launch on PS4, Xbox One, and PC in early 2016. Nintendo's digital event delivered on the mandatory charm this year. Puppet Satoru Iwata, Shigeru Miyamoto, and Reggie Philzame were perfectly bizarre and hit all the right notes. But there was more to the shtick, as Philzame later explained. This year's theme for Nintendo at E3 was transformation. Not long-term transformation, which would involve juicy details on Nintendo's next console, its mobile future, and a broader vision, but transformation in its more immediate future. The resulting event was fun and breezy, focused entirely on upcoming games. Star Fox Zero led the charge with a new gameplay trailer, highlighting how the game works with the Wii U's second screen. Nintendo once again focused on its developer stories and inspiration, and Miyamoto's was particularly intriguing. Thunderbirds and Arches were among his inspiration for Star Fox. These videos delighted in the little details, which was a nice change of pace from the usual bigger-than-life demos that we've been getting. Nintendo's collaboration with Activision's Skylander franchise was an entirely unexpected announcement, a point surprisingly acknowledged by Phil Zame saying, Nintendo keeps its properties very close to its chest. It will be interesting to see how far those worlds broaden out in the future. The Legend of Zelda Triforce Heroes for 3DS trailer and demo followed. Not quite the heavy-hitting Zelda game we wanted to hear about, but the multiplayer dungeon crawler does look intriguing enough. It would have been nice to have had some more context around the quick succession of hyper-colored trailers, but considering the 9-hour live Treehouse stream, elaboration is not Nintendo's bag at its E3 Direct anymore. Hyrule Warriors, Legends, Metroid Prime, Federation Force, Fire Emblem Fates, and Shim Megami Tensei X Fire Emblem all received trailers. The latter got a Western release date. Animal Crossing Happy Home Designer and Yoshi's Woolly World footage were some of the highlights. Happy Home Designer, which focuses on decorating and designing homes, taps into one of the most addictive features of the Animal Crossing series. It will be interesting to see how its support of the card-based amiibo is. Yoshi's Woolly World continues to delight with its charming presentation and, considering it was announced at last year's E3, it was good to get some firm release dates for the game. The next Mario & Luigi RPG is Mario & Luigi Paper Jam for the 3DS, which mixes the classic series with Paper Mario graphical style and gameplay. 
A spring 2016 release date feels brutally far away for this game. With a basic trailer, Mario Tennis Ultra Smash felt like a somewhat subdued announcement in comparison. For Amiibo fans, the 8-bit Amiibo announcement will surely excite. While Nintendo confirmed some of the Amiibo that will work with Super Mario Maker, including Link, Marth, Isabel, Yoshi, Luigi, and Wii Fit Trainer. Miyamoto explained the mystery mushroom power-up, which allows you to transform into another character using Amiibo. If E3 conferences were rated by smiles, Nintendo would win hands down. Shigeru Miyamoto can't help but make you smile with his enthusiasm for video games on a whole and for storytelling. Nintendo closed its conference with the announcement that Super Mario Maker, one of the most significant exclusives for the Wii U in 2015, would be out September 11th in North America. Mass Effect will be back holiday of 2016. BioWare's venerable sci-fi RPG is almost back. EA finally gave us a small glimpse at the new Mass Effect Andromeda, which is coming holiday 2016. While there are some definite callbacks to the Mass Effect universe, including an N7 designation on the armor, the trailer is more playful and more western. Don't expect too many details for a while though, we still have another E3 before its release. Mirror's Edge is back February 2016. The incredibly stylish free-running game Mirror's Edge is returning early next year on February 23rd. The cinematic trailer for Mirror's Edge Catalyst shows more style, more dystopian drama, and more parkour than the 2008 original. A little fun side note, the main evil guy looks just like EA CEO Andrew Wilson. Some new details about Kingdom Hearts 3 showed up today in a, in a colorful, action-packed trailer at E3. Kingdom Hearts 3, which fuses the worlds of Final Fantasy and Disney, including, we've learned, the film Tangled, has been on the back burner for several years now. Square Enix officially announced the game in 2013, but it was absent at last year's E3. Director Tetsuya Nomura has said it will conclude the central conflict of Kingdom Hearts, but not the series itself, since only the particular enemy they have been fighting the past 10 years will come to an end. The game is also the first installment of Kingdom Hearts to come to one of Microsoft's consoles. It's being released for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. We didn't get much more detail beyond that, including a release date, but it was still enough to prompt much rejoicing at the Square Enix press conference. One of the greatest adventures ever taken is now remade for a new generation with the long-awaited remake of Final Fantasy VII. The trailer doesn't give us many details, but we do get a very brief glimpse of Barrett and Cloud walking through Midgar. Final Fantasy VII has quickly become one of the best-selling role-playing games of all time, combining fully polygonal characters with pre-rendered backgrounds and a stirring musical score by Nobu Umetsu. Final Fantasy VII is a worthwhile addition to any RPG collection. The story centers on the young mercenary Cloud Strife, who is fighting against the evil Shinra Incorporated. Along the way, he meets an unforgettable cast of characters such as his childhood friend Tifa Lockhart and the grumpy pilot Sid Highwind. We knew that Agent Jameson Locke was on the hunt for Master Chief, but a new gameplay demo shown during Microsoft's E3 press conference gives a clearer idea of what's to come in 343 Industries' new Halo 5 Guardians. The demo opens up with gameplay from Agent Locke's perspective. With Osiris' team, he's on the hunt for Master Chief. 
Locke uses the Artemis, which appears to be a new device that lets you scan the environment for clues. In the distance, the Mammoth Guardian looms, and they wonder whether the chief has already made it on board. After the path they're on begins to crumble, Locke and his team come face-to-face with teleporting Prometheans, the enemies of Halo 4. Locke then takes them out and picks up a new weapon for the Halo series, the Plasma Caster, which looks similar to an energy crossbow. A boss-like Promethean enemy get in their way, apparently halting their pursuit of the Master Chief. The demo cuts to a montage of campaign shots showing more Promethean-like enemies and the already announced release date of October 27th. Earlier this month, we learned that the Blue Team would play an integral role in Master Chief's story. Each character has their own role in the cooperative story, as well Agent Locke's Osiris team. We got a glimpse of Kojima Productions' first attempt at an open-world stealth game in Metal Gear Solid V, Ground Zeroes. But believe me, Metal Gear Solid V The Phantom Pain is much, much bigger than that. It has near endless ways to tackle a scenario and an arsenal of weapons, gear, and a home base to develop from the ground up. The enemies are fun to fight, choke slam, and disarm. And most importantly, every completed mission and resource gathered contributes to the bigger whole since you rebuild Snake's world one piece at a time. The explosive ending of MGS Ground Zeroes sets up the destruction of Big Boss's home turf, so it makes sense that the opening hours of the Phantom Pain center around his rebirth. Without saying too much about the prologue, the hospital section is filled with the kind of crazy, elaborate, wacky, action-heavy cinematics series director Hideo Kojima is known for. But MGS5 is like an episodic TV series, right down to a special end credit sequence at the end of each episode. And Hour 2 gets straight to the heart of the Phantom Pain, as it sends Snake on an adventure that starts in the open desert of Afghanistan and shifts over to the lush jungles of Africa. Afghanistan and Africa are impressive sandboxes on their own terms, despite not having the hustle and bustle of a GTA-level material. The canyons and jungles stretch for miles in every direction with lots of soldiers, wildlife, and other surprises to to discover. Enemy soldiers follow different patrols during the day versus the night, and you can find them hold up the many installations scattered across the desert landscape. Daytime stealth is harder than it looks, too, so if you're a better stealth agent at night, a few pulls of the Phantom Cigar will initiate a time lapse that changes the time of day. Enemy AI is better than ever with tenacious soldiers who will investigate the first signs of an intrusion. It's not impossible to sneak by thanks to a nifty feature on Snake's binoculars that mark nearby threats. In a lot of ways, Metal Gear Solid 5 is the perfect union of the exterior areas born in Metal Gear Solid 3 and the tight, episodic mission-based structure of Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. There's a lot to do from securing valuable intel and resources to kidnapping soldiers using the Fulton recovery system. A hilarious gag that results in a cool payoff. Manpower that you can use to build a bigger, better army. Taken soldiers can be turned into recruits, split up into teams like Weapon R&D, Medical, and Intel. Each one plays a vital role in elevating Snake's base from under construction installation to military superpower. Just be careful when you choose to airlift someone out of a battle. An injured soldier could die during the trip, or Fulton could be lost entirely if the weather is bad enough. 
On the road to strengthening their home base, players can choose between tackling beneficial side ops or tear through episodic missions that weave into the main story. An early side mission has you scouring the dusty Afghanistan hills for a Russian translator. Without his valuable interpretation skills, all of the spoken intel gained from the interrogating enemy soldiers is worthless. Completed objectives, targets destroyed, and intel gained impacts the world as a whole, giving you reasons to explore both paths for a sizable payoff. Once you've gathered enough men and resources, you can build additional wings and add defenses for your forward operating base, an area that other players can invade and steal resources from their friends. We still don't know how these losses affect Snake's goal to rebuild Mother Base, but it sounds like a fun way to compete in an unfriendly arms race. Regardless of which side you choose, the most important function to wrap your brain around is the iDroid, a device that Snake uses to summon supplies, manage weapons and base development, and listen to detailed briefing cassettes or call in a chopper pickup at the end of a play session. It's a major piece of equipment that plays a central role in making Snake and his army stronger. Expansions like this Sonic Pulse that can detect nearby targets or the upgraded Fulton Recovery Balloon that allows you to steal anything that's not nailed to the ground are locked up behind Mother Base. It's a worthwhile investment too, from inflatable dummies that can push a soldier clear off the ledge to stun arm grades that can shock an enemy senseless. But as with Metal Gear, it's not what tools you have in the battle, but the myriad of creative ways you can use it. As painfully detailed as Metal Gear games tend to be, they wouldn't be memorable to fans without wacky easter eggs. In the Phantom Pain, you can hear 80s pop music playing inside some of the enemy bases. Snatch up these tapes from boomboxes and then play it as background music through your iDroid. That not enough for you? Well, a fashionable helicopter upgrade will outfit your chopper with a set of speakers so that you can set these tunes to blare out of them when the cavalry comes to airlift you out of danger. Perhaps one of the most exciting pieces of Metal Gear Solid 5 is the buddy system, where Snake can bring along an AI-driven companion to help him accomplish missions in the field. At TGS, we saw Quiet in action as the controversial sniper covered Snake's movements with suppressing fire. And who could forget the jaw-dropping sequence involving shooting a grenade out of the air next to a chopper. Sequences like this might appear scripted for a good demo, but in what we saw played, they're possible to pull off. Metal Gear Solid 5 The Phantom Pain is shaping up to be one of the most polished open-world stealth games with lots of missions to complete, resources to gather, and equipment to develop. Most importantly, it tucks all of it behind the freedom to choose and develop your tools and resources to suit the way you play. If the rest of the game is as impressive, it might be one of the best stealth action games yet made. During Bethesda's E3 press conference today, Todd Howard took the stage to present a substantial gameplay demo for Fallout 4. Among the features showcased were a substantial crafting and customization system, which was far beyond anything the series has ever seen. Let's start at the beginning. Fallout 4's prologue actually takes place prior to the nuclear event that causes the apocalypse. Character generation was, as always, handled within cleverly chosen story interactions. A couple stands in front of their bathroom mirror playfully bantering. Facial features were customized by simply pointing to them with a cursor and then sculpting them in real time, as opposed to the vague old slider system. 
What's more is it was possible to customize a female avatar as well as a male one. Shortly after this sequence, a vault tech sales rep rings the doorbell, offering you and your family a pre-approved slot in Vault 111. He says before a final approval, he just needs to ask some questions about you, at which point the familiar S-P-E-C-I-A-L interface comes up, allowing you to allocate skill points between strength, perception, endurance, constitution, intelligence, agility, and luck. Nuka-Cola can be seen in the refrigerator in the kitchen. Another neat touch, your robotic housekeeper, Codsworth, calls your character by name. Bethesda recorded a thousand common names so you could hear your character's names spoken at certain points in the game. From here, the demo quick cuts through the following events so as to not ruin too much. But the basic gist of it is that the incident happens and you emerge from Vault 111 200 years later as the sole survivor, which would mean that your wife and child from the prologue are dead. At this point, the player is free to roam, just like in previous entries in the series. Player freedom remains our absolute number one goal, said studio director Todd Howard, as play footage showed vast open world being explored freely in classic Fallout fashion. Fallout 4 is built on a new version of Bethesda's creation engine, which they've been iterating for some time. All of the game can be played in either third person or first person, including dialogue sequences, which askew the old method of scrolling through options in favor of mapping each option to a face button for a less clunky overall flow. You can even walk away mid-conversation if you so choose. At this point, the demo introduces the dog companion shown in the reveal trailer, and he's more than just an adorable tag-along. By pointing at distant objects, levels, and enemies, you can bring up context-sensitive button prompts to interact with them in different ways. It's all point-and-shoot style, making it look very easy to get use out of your animal companion. He was shown retrieving items, distracting enemies, and performing other useful actions. Vats was also briefly shown. Howard talked about it being enhanced for additional control, but he never went into specifics, and it wasn't readily apparent from the footage what this enhanced control might be. It did seem quite efficient for eliminating mole rats and other familiar fallout enemies like rad scorpions and super mutants. The old Pip-Boy interface makes a return as well with a more polished visual representation of its buttons and moving parts. Aside from using it to navigate your inventory and check your status, you'll be able to find game cartridges for it, which will allow you to play Fallout-themed homages to old-school arcade games such as Donkey King and Missile Defense. That wasn't all for the Pip-Boy, though. According to Howard, the collector's edition for Fallout 4 will come with a real-life Pip-Boy that you can put your smartphone into. In addition, there will be a companion app that uses the same interface and coding as the one used in the game. As second screen experiences go, this one sounds awesome. And one of the most awesome things about the real-life Pip-Boy is that you can play it on your wrist, and what you do on your wrist happens in-game, as you're playing the game. How cool is that? One of the most important features revealed was the crafting system. Fallout games are always full of little pieces of junk to pick up, though it's common for them to be useless. In Fallout 4, every object you can pick up and collect can be recycled into one of many raw resources which can then be used to craft a crazy number of different things. As usual, this includes weapons and weapon mods, of which there are tons of. Fallout 4 will feature 50 base weapon types and 700 mods to customize them. But that's just the tip of the crafting iceberg. 
This time around, you'll be able to craft and heavily customize your own set of power armor, the iconic battle gear for which the Fallout series is famous. Then there's the ability to build houses, bases, and settlements as you see fit, erecting entire buildings, defenses, and decorations for them. You can even create Brahmin caravans to haul goods between your settlements if you'd like. The diversity of what was being crafted was the most impressive part. Sentry turrets, stationary flamethrowers, security terminals to connect and govern them, and even had custom lighted signs that were all on display. During a montage at the end of the demo, you could see the player throwing down a flare and calling in a flying transport of some kind, then getting on board and manning a huge side-mounted minigun. Whether this was a scripted or something that could be done at will is completely up in the air, but either way, it looked way cool. Even with all of those juicy details, the biggest surprise was saved for last. Bethesda has been working on Fallout 4 for four years, since they shipped out the last one. As a result, Fallout 4 is going to be on store shelves on November 10th, 2015. Yes, this year. Virtual reality was making a big splash at E3 this year. There are two big virtual reality demos at E3. One being the Microsoft HoloLens and the other is the Oculus Rift. Starting with the HoloLens, it's a headset that allows you to play existing games anywhere. You can have your screen on the wall if you want, or you can put your Minecraft world on a table and view all the way around it in 3D as if it were actually sitting on your coffee table. It's all movement and voice based, and controllers can be used with it. The Halo 5 demo of the HoloLens, while not actually being released, showed off what the future of VR is. You're inside one of the Halo ships, and there's a 3D hologram on the conference deck, first off showing a ship. Then other people walk in dressed as Spartans and they look like they're actually standing in front of you and you can walk around them and see them in 3D almost as if you can reach out and just touch them. And then there's the other holographic images that appear related to your objective. It's as if you're inside the game completely immersed. It is insane. This, I believe, is the future of gaming and the future of immersive gaming. Next up was the Oculus Rift. We've seen development over the past few years on this and it is finally shipping out in the first quarter of next year. Also a wearable VR headset, the Oculus was the first of its kind and has come a long way. There is now a full set of games that will be available. Originally the VR headsets would make people motion sick and they have done much to ease this issue as you lose yourself in the game. With the Oculus Rift, you now have a motion tracking camera that will ship with it. The tracking camera will give you the ability to lean over ledges in games and peer around corners as the motion tracking camera senses your movements and makes camera adjustments accordingly. This is what I want the future of gaming to be. Imagine playing Battlefield, whichever the newest version is, and instead of worrying about the two thumbsticks and the ten buttons to take your opposition down, now you can sneak around and peer around ledges and peer off over the top of your enemy. And There's also a controller that will ship that is the Xbox One controller. That being said, there are special incredibly precise motion controllers in development with a planned release date of later next year. Much like the nunchuck controllers from Nintendo, you hold one in each hand, the controllers sense when you're touching them, and can sense if you're actually squeezing something or making a fist. The playable demo of these controllers was a toy box where you could pick items up and throw them around or hit them. All in all, the VR market is coming on strong this next year. 
I think Oculus Rift is farther ahead of the, of the juggernaut Microsoft in their HoloLens. Both have their appeal, but for gaming's sake, the Oculus Rift wins out with the immersive experience. In addition to a genuinely exciting slate of video games, this year's E3 has also shown that publishers and developers are listening to feedback and focusing on representing their audiences. Women have starred in the shows, both as presenters and as playable characters, a move that feels like a conscious change after the developers of Assassin's Creed and Battlefield Bad Company 2 previously said female humans were too difficult to include in their games. The result here is the best E3 has been in years. While the show isn't perfect, for anyone who can remember the bad times of E3's past, 2015's event has made gaming feel more inclusive, more forward-thinking, and more exciting than ever for a long, long time. We'll be back tomorrow with a whole slew of announcements and even more details on games coming out of E3. This has been a special E3 Geek Report. Brought to you by Geek Geek Nerd Nerd, comics, toys, and collectibles. Located at 535 Southwest 6th Street in downtown Redmond. Geek Geek Nerd Nerd is your source for the geek life. We have lamps, nightlights, autographed prints, and posters for you to decorate with. Thousands of comic books await your perusing. You can come in five times and still find something new every time. It's time for you to come in to Geek Geek Nerd Nerd. It's the language we speak.